Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Daniel Gallon, and he is down in College Park where Penn State just dismantled the Maryland Terrapins 51-15. to We talked about it coming into the game where it just felt like this program was in a, a pivot moment one way or the other uh, coming into the first week of November and uh, the way for them to really declare where they were as a program here early in November would be to go and beat the living you-know-what out of the Terrapins. That's exactly what they did, Daniel. It was best-case scenario as a Nittany Lions fan, I think, out there, among fans out there, when you're, when you're trying to imagine how this one might play out. You wanted to see Drew Aller put together a complete performance. You probably got his best performance of the season to date, and it was on the road. Uh, you wanted to see this defense bounce back from what was their most underwhelming effort thus far against Indiana. They were creating havoc all day long, four takeaways on the day against Maryland. And more than anything, you wanted to see Penn State impose their will, look like they belong among the elites in the Big Ten conversation. And in that co- college football playoff conversation before Michigan comes to town, because that's not the right time to get right, Penn State, by all intents and purposes, today seemed to get right, Daniel. We thought last week against Indiana was going to be the get-right game, and it turned out that a trip down the college park was all that Penn State needed uh, to kind of, you know, cure, cure for the common, you know, whatever ailments uh, that, that Penn State is dealing with right now. But I, I think that when you envision this game as a Penn State fan, I think everything really went to script. You know, you emptied out, the, you emptied out a CQ Stadium uh, when at the beginning of the game – I didn't see what I forgot to check the announced attendance, but it was announced as a sellout. You empty that student section by the you know end of the third quarter. You empty the rest of the stadium by the end of the fourth quarter. You have all your Penn State fans who made the trip down here start to come down and make their presence felt uh, a little bit. So I think that this is what you kind of envisioned your your perfect trip to College Park to be. If you were a Penn State fan, if you're part of this Penn State program, and that's what we got from the Nittany Lions today. They've had a lot of fun on their trips to College Park. It's been blowout after blowout after blowout. I know that it was closer uh, than, than the final margin looked last down time they went down there and got the late pick six, but they have had some shellacking, some embarrassing moments for Maryland. And we talk a little bit coming in with, with, with Terps insider Jeff Ehrman from, from our 24-7 Sports Network about what a spiral might mean for Maryland and, and Mike Loxley. They are officially in a spiral. They will go to Nebraska next Saturday. That is not a gimme anymore if it ever was against the Cornhuskers. Uh, and, and then they've got Rutgers to close. And before that, they've got the Michigan Wolverines to take on. So very much in play is the prospect of 5-0 and to 5-7 and for Maryland. What we did see today from Penn State was them stopping any notion that they were going to enter a late-season slide. We had questions last year after they picked up their second loss of the season against Ohio State because it always seems – with this team's mindset and psyche late in the season, it seems to stem from the Ohio State matchup so often. Last year, we wondered how they'd answer the bell. They won four in a row. They locked in an opportunity to go to the Rose Bowl, and they put away Utah, a you know, top-10 opponent in that matchup, and springboarded their way to 2023. Now here they are again. They don't have that second loss. How would they react to the Ohio State win? Well, not well, but James Franklin wanted to say, hey, we got the win. There's a lot of teams that don't survive moments like that. They got to 7-1. and one. Now they emphatically get to eight and one, Daniel. And I think before we get to the details, the nuts and bolts of this and some of the individual performances, big response overall from the staff, from the players, 
from everybody because this was a really buttoned up performance in all three phases of the game for the most part. Even when you got Toalia uh, to, to Tagovailoa going out and getting 17 straight completions, including number 17 being a touchdown. Even while that's all happening, Penn State firmly in possession of momentum, control, whatever you want to call it, every step of the way in a way that we hadn't seen from them in a long time, it felt like. It was definitely their most dominant performance uh, that, that we've seen in a while. I, I think that coming out of the Indiana game last week, even though it was a win and it happened in pretty exciting fashion, that was really too close for comfort for a lot of people. I think you know within that building in, in included, especially talking to players on that defense. But I think Penn State came out today with the goal of really asserting themselves, of kind of dictating the terms of the game. Um, and then when you look at what they were able to do, those two Maryland touchdown drives got aided big time by Penn State penalties. I think Penn State did a good job of keeping Maryland in the game as much as Maryland was even in the game, which was not much. Um, so I think that that's something when we hear from James Franklin on Monday now, and he's talking about the different phases of the game that they won. I think the penalty battle is definitely something that that will come up as a learning spot or a sore spot for him. But I think that Penn State just put together a very complete, a very total performance. It's really hard to come out of this with any question marks, I think, um, in terms of what the Nittany Lions did today against the Terps. And I think that Penn State kind of did what it was supposed to do against the team that you know, of Maryland standing or where people think Maryland belongs in the Big Ten, Big Ten pecking order. So I just think that we saw a very thorough performance today from Penn State. Obviously, they'll, they'll have areas where they want to get better. But I think all in all, this is what you wanted to do in this week in College Park. Now, there's a lot of directions we can go from a positive pack. Uh, and, and it feels like a lot different than the last couple post-game podcasts where it's been more of an airing of grievances of sorts because of you know kind of the autopsy that we had to deal with, even against Indiana, even in a win. This time around, you got to start with Drew Aller and, and a guy who through his first uh, three road starts, it was under 50% cumulatively completion, two total touchdown passes. We know what happened last uh, time against Ohio State, no first downs through 57 minutes of football. This time around, he was slicing and dicing on a lot of third downs, two big pass completions on fourth downs. And by the way, this team's at 85% mark on fourth down attempts this season i think the number is now 15 of 18 on the year twice through through the air and then four touchdown passes today through drew aller so he doubles his uh in one game here he doubles uh the, the past season cumulative total of touchdown passes in road performances he's right around 75 percent completion on the day 25 of 34 240 yards and those four touchdowns give him 23 total scores on the season versus that one turnover. Daniel, he was playing different. I know you caught up with him in post game. Mark Brennan has some video over at lines247.com. You're having a, an article up on the site. Curious what stood out. Does he seem like a different player? Cause he looked like a different player uh, when we watched him just working uh, his way against this Terrapins defense. I have, I have the quote from Aller up in front of me right now. And, he was asked about his comfort and his confidence coming into this game. And he said, quote, I think last week at the end of the game, it finally kind of clicked for me where I was just out there playing, not trying to be perfect or anything like that. And I think that that goes into what 
I think some people were, were thinking with his lack of turnovers that he hadn't had any mistakes. He was trying to be really perfect. Uh, well, he made a mistake and the world didn't end. And that's something that he can hang his hat on a little bit. I mean, I'm still of the, I'm still in the process over results standpoint where that interception against Indiana last week is, was awful given that situation, what was going on in that game. That's still something that you absolutely cannot do. But the way that he responded from it, throwing that touchdown pass to Keandre Lambert Smith, getting out with a win, I do think that that gave him something that he can really build on moving forward. And he built on that today. So I think to see him out there, I think we saw him throwing downfield a little bit more often. We saw him fit the ball into some into some tight windows. I mean, that touchdown throw to, to Tyler Warren uh, in the back corner of the end zone, he threaded it between a ton of defenders. Um, I know a Penn State fan who was down in that corner and was taking video on that play. And I saw that low angle from only a couple rows back um, from the field. And it was a great, great throw. I mean, I think that that's kind of what we envision from Allard. You know, the two touchdown passes to Dante Cephas, where on the second, he dropped it in the bucket. In the first, he put it where only Cephas could get it. And Cephas completed the play. I, I think that we saw Aller really willing to take some more chances. We saw him tuck the ball and run. He had a 21-yard uh, scramble downfield on the third down. And Tyler Warren brought that up after the game. And he, he qualified it by saying, you know, maybe he should think about sliding. You can't take too many hits when you're the quarterback. But when the players on the offense see their quarterback running downfield, taking those hits, having that approach, that that's something that resonates with them. And they want to rally around him. So I, I think that Aller, I, I don't think he was ever in a position that his teammates would doubt him. I think one thing that came up in talking to Keandre Lambert Smith and Dante Cephas is that they kept being asked if, did you see a different Drew Allard this week during practice? Did you, did you see this? And they kept saying that honestly, they can't tell whether he's up or down. Um, and I think that he was able to you know, stay composed, have total faith of his teammates in him. And he rewarded that today. I mean, it, it sounds like though, that the, the the source that is saying that there was something different about Drew Aller was Drew Aller. I mean, right. I mean, and so, so that, that's a pretty good source on the subject as everyone else is trying to put their finger on it and yes, yeah, score another one for the interception conspiracy theorists, the people <laughs> that will go to their graves saying that if Drew Aller had thrown an interception at some point against the Delaware blue hens, that he would have thrown five touchdowns at, in Columbus on the road and they would have blown out the Ohio state Buckeyes that day. But we'll never know how that may have changed the trajectory. He holds that NCAA record for the most pass attempts to start a college career without an interception, for better or for worse, however it impacted his psyche to this point. That's in the past, and what we have here in the present is a performance that, again, I haven't really reviewed what's happening across the conference right now. I don't think there's a lot of offensive barn burner performances coming from the Big Ten West based on the scoreboard that I just saw. Um, but Drew Aller is going to be in the conversation to be conference player of the year. Uh, I'm sorry, conference player of the week. Let's let's slow our roll a little bit here coming out of the Maryland matchup and and more importantly, going into the Michigan matchup. Let, let's face it, go, going into Beaver Stadium for a matchup of this proportion, uh, the, the marquee week that we're in for against the Wolverines and all that. It's nice to be able to do that on home, not to get on a plane, have to travel, stay in a hotel, show up to the opposing uh, park and, and deal with all that stuff. And so that you're already in a different situation than you were against Ohio State. But now we've seen him take the punch. We saw him take another punch against Indiana. 
get up, dust himself off, and, and put together what to this point is really the most impressive body of work when you look at the way he was throwing the ball, distributing the football. We've got receivers stepping up. We'll talk about that in a second. But, man, it, founds, it feels like this passing attack, starting with the quarterback, found some early November momentum before the Michigan matchup. And if we're all being honest with ourselves, that's a very difficult thing to find at this stage of the season. So I got to give them a lot of credit. I've got to give the offensive coordinator, Mike Yursich, credit for what they came up with today. Can it carry over against a much tougher opponent, Michigan? Well, we'll get an answer on that in seven days. But they had an answer today, and they, there was a lot of questions around this entire situation. I think the when you're talking about that, the place you have to start is with Dante Cephas. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting to see this kind of performance from him. And even though the yardage is pretty modest and the average is pretty modest, six for 53, you got those two touchdowns, and neither of those were easy catches. The first one was initially ruled incomplete, and then they reviewed it, ruled it a touchdown. From my point in the press box, I thought he was in in from the jump. You never know what you're going to see on replay, though, or what the officials saw. But I just think to see him really be involved in the offense, you don't have Harrison Wallace, uh, who had kind of served as a pretty reliable option um, for, for Drew Aller. And I thought we saw Dante Cephas step up and kind of be that guy today. And I think that that's something that, that Penn State really, really wanted. I think that something we heard from the from the other players that we talked to after the game was the acknowledgement that it's not always as easy for some people as it is for others. Coming in as a transfer, that transition, it's different for everyone. They acknowledge that a lot of people thought this would happen quicker, but it's different for everyone. And it seems like the light is kind of going on for Dante Cephas. I think that you know your piece on Friday was pretty prescient about what he could mean for this team, especially given these circumstances and the, the type of player he could be. And I, I thought that he did a good job of coming out and showing that. So I, I think the key now for him is going to be, can you do this against Michigan? Can you do this against one of the Big Ten's best defenses as opposed to a, a Maryland team that is, is reeling right now? So I, I think when you look at the passing game and who stood out today, Dante Cephas is that headliner finally got what we thought we would from him, and it really, really helped. Credit to Cephas. This was clearly the moment for him, you know, stepping up and speaking with the media for the first time since early August. Uh, that doesn't happen by accident. He was going to have a significant role in this matchup. No Harrison Wallace, as we expected. He was out. So is Chop Robinson. We'll talk about that in a bit. We'll talk more about the defense momentarily. But, yeah, this is a huge storyline because James Franklin said it. The quote, I wanted to pull it up here. He says, quote, having another guy that people got to worry about on film, it changes everything. When there's one guy that people are concerned about, a lot of defenses can figure out a way to make that challenging. I mean, that was part of his answer to, to the Cephas question today. And you, re, you don't have to read between the lines. That, that, that's why they found themselves in a very challenging situation. That, that they didn't feel like they were putting enough on film where the opposing defense was going to have to respect their ability to spread the football field with playmakers on the perimeter. Uh, and to this point, I think defenses have been validated in that reasoning. Now with what Dante Cephas does, I mean, he, he's, he didn't catch more than two passes in a single game through the first eight contests. He was out there. He was active. He started, he started, I think, one or two of those, or he was out there very early in a few of them. Uh, yet here he was, six catches, 53 yards, two touchdowns, very impressive, tough catches along the sideline. 
showing that trust in Drew Aller. And he opened up a little bit this week about him and Drew Aller being assigned as as weightlifting partners this summer upon his enrollment. And you understand why the Nittany Lions will be motivated to get those two together. But here we are, uh, Daniel, and, and it wasn't just Cephas, but you've had Kaden Saunders getting some early run and Omari Evans catching his first pass from Drew Aller since 2022. Uh, you had uh, you know, just a bunch of different guys actually getting involved today. Um, I, obviously, the story is Dante Cephas, but I think they kind of shook things up from a personnel standpoint after going really tight with their plan last week. We didn't see a bunch of dudes. They didn't get production. Cephas was the storyline here. Uh, but I'm really curious as they work their way through the film here and figure out, you know, who, who earned a bigger role or who earned their opportunities to remain against Michigan, where I think it's going to tighten up again. They're in a different spot. They are in a different spot right now. And, and Dante Cephas is a, a huge part of the reason. But uh, he delivers and, and, and Drew Aller delivers. But I think it goes beyond that. Do they have some more pieces that can step up here in November? Because the opportunities are there right now. We did see some different personnel groupings today, and, and I thought that that was good, even if it is not just because it was against an opponent where you could afford to do that. But I think that it's I think that that's something that Penn State is going to have to do to beat a team like Michigan to mix and match and, and see who can who can make a big play, who can do something for you. I mean, I can't remember the last time we saw Omari Evans get first half snaps. That might be one of the only times this year that, that we've seen him that early in the game. So I think that that's something that's good. We saw we saw Caden Saunders get some run here and there. I think his snaps were a little bit more scattered, but we saw Drew Aller take a shot to him in the end zone um, during the game, and the defensive back made a really, really nice play on that ball. It was a good throw by Drew Aller, throwing it up, two guys trying to make a play, and the defender got it. Um, so we're seeing some different things from Penn State. We saw a little – Liam Clifford was the first slot in the game – we saw Malik McLean rotating in on the outside. It was still largely Keandre Lambert-Smith and Dante Cephas as the top two, but we saw a little bit more variety than we did in that Ohio State game where everything, and even last week against Indiana, where everything just felt like it was so buttoned up, so station to station uh, for the course of that game. So I think that that's something that can help Penn State. They're still leaning on those tight ends. <laughs> We're seeing a lot of Tyler Warren out there, a lot of Theo Johnson, we saw a little bit more Khalil Dinkins than we have in the past. And when they put those three tight ends out there now, it's not only the T formation. They're doing a couple different things in there. So I think that where this, I think it's just easier to feel so much better about this passing game today than we were at this point a week ago, mm -hmm. where we were talking about who's going to step up. Why aren't they giving more guys chances? Why aren't they trying something different? They did that a little bit today. And, and I think that that's something that, as we go towards Michigan, it is going to be really interesting to watch what is going to stick from what we saw against Maryland. Cause some of the stuff that we saw earlier in the year didn't stick uh, when they went to Ohio state. I mean, you're looking at eight different uh, pass targets getting on the reception board here against uh, Maryland. Counter Lambert Smith though, is the headliner. Once again, eight catches for 95 yards. There's a moment there where the entire Penn state community, I think is holding their collective breath and saying, this is the guy who's been the most consistent, the most reliable, the only reliable component of the receiver room. All of a sudden, we get a second receiver making plays, and now, now we're going to lose the number one guy. He was back out there two plays later. It looked a lot scary in the moment. He reached yeah. for his left knee. He appeared to be in some pain. 
looked like it was just more of a, a contact deal than any kind of structural thing. So he was back out there. He was playing. Counter Lambert Smith, though, it's credit where credit is due here, Daniel. He's the guy who keeps delivering big plays. He had a 38-yard pickup on the play that he was briefly injured. Uh, he had 20-yard gain on that play, eight receptions. 95 yards, uh, just stacking onto those already career-high stats on this season. And as he gets other components in this passing game, you start to wonder, well, what does Keandre Lambert-Smith, with threats around him and respected threats by the defense around him, what does that free him up to do? Because let's face it, the best wide receivers out there in the country that we talk about, a lot of them are in offenses where there are other showcase pieces that can take some of the heat off of them. And to this point, been really a one-man show at receiver yeah I think that's something that we've talked about with Keandre Lambert Smith this year is that he is Penn State's wide receiver one I think that he would be wide receiver one at a decent number of programs around the country but at the same time he's not one of those transcendent wide receivers he's not Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, he's not someone like I don't know Jalen Hyatt last year at Tennessee you know some of these really big play wide receivers that always seem to get it done no matter what, uh, on their own, no matter what the circumstances are. I think Keandre Lambert-Smith is someone who does need some help around him, and that's not a knock on him because the elite of the elite are such a select few. And I think that and the way that this Penn State passing game is set up, they need, they want to spread the ball around. They don't want to be relying on only one wide receiver. So I think the fact that you were able to see Dante Cephas step up um, – Tyler Warren was someone who needed a lot of attention from the Maryland defense today. I think that that really benefited Keandre Lambert Smith and put him in a position to make plays. We know what he can do when he gets the ball in his hands and we know that he can get vertical. Um, I, I thought he might've had another long touchdown when they ran a, a slot fade or a slot wheel Drew Aller threw it up the left side and uh, Lambert Smith, I think lost it again or turned the wrong way coming out of his break and, and, and just couldn't find it. He was um, mad so. at himself for that one. You, you could see he, he felt like, you know, if he had made a little bit of a different adjustment, that could have been a third huge big gainer on the day. Exactly. And, and so I think that Keandre Lambert-Smith can be a really, really productive and, and a big-time playmaker when he's in kind of the, the right situation and the, pen, and the offense is, is really clicking. And so I thought that it was really good to see him make some catches today. Uh, avoided the, those big drops that, that pop up every once in a while. And, you know, maybe he's someone too, just like Drew Aller, who appears to have built off that ending against Indiana. Maybe the same holds true for Keandre Lambert-Smith. I think there's some sentiment that, okay, you know what Keandre Lambert-Smith is. You, you know his ceiling as a number one receiver. I disagree because you don't know what he looks like when there's a legitimate number two or even a number three receiver rounding out the situation. And now you've got Theo Johnson continuing his hot streak, finding the end zone again, two more touchdowns for this tight ends group. And, and by the way, I think Tyler Warren, uh, what, actually what I'm, I'm missing a touchdown, three more touchdowns for this tight ends unit. Uh, as th Tyler Warren scores one there, they, Warren could have had multiple touchdowns. I think that you know, if, if you're looking at the some of those replays on, on passes to the end zone, but he finishes with the score. He's got six on the season now. Theo Johnson has another touchdown. He has four of them. Um, and I said Dickens scored a touchdown. That's my bad. He had that big gainer. All he did before this was score touchdowns. He also all he does though is catch passes on fourth down. Right, three yes. catches on the season, all of them fourth down. 
He had two for touchdowns earlier this season, including last week. And then this one on a fourth and short picks up 16 yards, one of those two fourth down conversions through the air. What is one of those kind of statements from Penn State's offense as they were running these long, time-consuming drives with the lead? And, you know, Dinkins, Warren, Johnson, whoever it's been, 12 total touchdowns that leads the nation among tight end units in the country. And, Daniel, that, that's just a well that Drew Aller seems to get more and more comfortable going to. And, again, Dinkins just proves to be a guy who shows up in key moments, whether he's helping push Drew Aller into the end zone or, you know, coming up with a key catch where if he doesn't, you got to turn over on downs. The, the trust is really there with the tight end group. I, I know that it can get a little frustrating sometimes to watch so much of a, a 12 personnel group and that it doesn't really have the explosive plays. It can feel very station to station, just kind of constantly hitting singles uh, and whatnot. But I, I think that this is a group that has shown that they can hit doubles. They can hit triples. Uh, Tyler Warren dropped the one touchdown in the back of the end zone. Uh, on what would have been a really, really nice play. Um, he was also targeted by Keandre Lambert-Smith on that double pass attempt. Uh, I think after they're the game... They're not shy with Keandre as a, as a passer, <laughs> are they? They, are, they, they want to make sure like they want to make sure everyone knows that they think Keandre can throw the football. I mean, got to give something to think about anytime you yeah. throw it out to him wide. But uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith, I don't know if Warren was the, the really the right read on that because I think Cephas was open up the left side. I'll have to go out and watch it again, but... I think Lambert Smith after the game said that he was pretty mad at himself for that one too. And he thought it would be a touchdown uh, if, if he hit more in the uh, running there. So he thinks he's a very good quarterback. I mean, and to this point he's, he's, he's proven it, but, but Keandre Lambert Smith, he thinks he's a very good quarterback. I, I think that I think it's going to be a situation similar to, to Aller where, where once Keandre hit, hits one, then he'll really be off and running because it's, <laughs> it's been a lot of closer and, I mean, that Ohio State game probably isn't making his his sizzle reel uh, for it, for his career as a passer, but it's just kind of something else. And I, I think that at times it can kind of be like, Drew Aller is supposed to be this transcendent talent. Why are you letting anyone else on the field throw the ball? But it, it's something else. And I, I think that you, maybe you try this enough time. We saw it hit against Michigan State last year. So we know we know it's something that they can do. All right. Speaking of taking the ball out of Drew Aller's hands, I want to talk about Bo Perbula and that, and that package in a second. But a couple of stats before I forget to mention them, just about where Keandre Lambert-Smith is now in his career, year four with the program. Let's remember, he was a big-time recruit out of Virginia. A bunch of programs were all around this kid. Uh, but through 33 games in a Penn State uniform, and that's going into to deep into last November, 24 of those he started. He had three games in which he went 70 or more receiving yards. He's got seven of those in the last 11 games going back to, to late November last year. So not only has he has he proven to be up to the task of delivering game performances that, that lead the way for that receiver unit, but he's been doing it again and again and again and, and in postseason matchups and in Big Ten matchups and on the road. So he has developed that consistency. And then where might you find a spark? I mean, it, when we look back at the career of Drew Aller, the, or the, just the sophomore season of Drew Aller, you look at what he did against Ohio State, and for the first 57 minutes of the Indiana matchup, he was 36 of 71 passing. That's 51% rate, 333 yards through the air, three touchdowns, one interception. And so that timeline stops with that one interception, the first interception. In the ensuing five possessions, so the final one, the winner against Indiana, and the first four against Maryland, where they buried the Terps and set the tone, 
He was 15 of 18 passing. That's 83% for 192 yards and four touchdowns. So, look, does that hold up against Michigan? Does it carry over through the rest of this month? Do we point to it and, and say this is a defining moment? I don't know, but in this very, you know, this pocket of time, Daniel, sure sounds like this. It seems like this offense found its footing, found a grasp, and, and avoided some kind of slippery slope situation, avalanche situation, whatever you want to call it, heading into a matchup against Michigan. And a key part of that as well was something we discussed in the pregame show feed fat man. You know, 14 carries may not sound like a lot, but K. Allen turned them into nine, 91 yards. That's six and a half yards per carry. This is the kind of guy we saw last year breaking down defenses over the course of matchups with his buddy Nick Singleton. Singleton, another underwhelming day on the ground, eight carries, 20 yards. That's two and a half yards per average. But to our point, they leaned into Catron Allen on the ground. Singleton popped with another 50-plus yard kickoff return. Uh, that's the second time he's done that in consecutive weeks. It did set up a touchdown, but Allen's the man right now. feels like they need to ride uh, to the end zone, wherever they got to go. That 10-yard run for the touchdown, he took the entire Maryland defense with him. He had a 19-yard run uh, in this game as well. Uh, he also caught a pass in the matchup. But it certainly feels like Catron Allen is getting going, getting rumbling, and asserting himself as you know the prominent figure on the ground for, for Penn State here in crunch time. Catron Allen is the hot hand. And I, I thought that this was the type of game that he could really, really be valuable I thought that when we got to the second half, Maryland would be tired. And I thought that the game flow would be in a point where you had the position to really, really take their will away. And I, I think that that's kind of what we saw from Penn State on that play where they're pushing Catron Allen all the way in. I think that that kind of defined the, the physicality and kind of the attitudes of the teams and, and where they are uh, in both of their seasons. So this was a really good performance to see from Catron Allen. I think it's good that we saw the Nick Singleton kickoff return. It, like it's still there. I don't know why it's not hitting during during the off, when the offense is on the field, but we know he has that juice. We know he has that speed and that power and those moves. But right now, I think that Katron Allen, when you look at what's ahead for Penn State next week against Michigan and what is going to be a what should be a very physical game where I don't think there's necessarily going to be a lot of possessions. I think there's going to be a lot of grinding it out. You look at Katron Allen, that is the, the perfect type of, of running back to bring into a, a matchup like that on a potentially you know, cold November, uh, late, late Big Ten late season game at Beaver Stadium. Last year against Michigan and in what was just a, a nightmare of, of an afternoon for Penn State, six carries for Katron Allen. That was uh, the lowest for him in Big Ten action throughout the entire season. Expect that to change. I, I'm going to set the over-under at like 22 touches for Katron Allen if you want things to go according to plan for you offensively. It's tough to go according to plan against Michigan. That's a matchup we'll break down a lot more into next week, and, and uh, there's a lot going on beyond that matchup, of course, when it comes to the next opponent. But focusing on this one, offensive line, You know, we, we discussed them and, and certainly attached them to some of the funk that was happening offensively recently for Penn State. We've also got to say when, when, when things swing the other way, we got to tip our cap. One sack allowed against Maryland today uh, permitted Drew Aller for the most part to, to be creative in the pocket, to get comfortable in the pocket, to be confident as the game wore on. He threw 34 passes. He was sacked only that one time. We saw this team surrender three sacks against Indiana after only giving up eight sacks for the first seven games. Caden Wallace was back at right tackle. 
continue to see three guards involved out there uh, and ultimately averaging on the ground uh, with with sacks taken out of the equation here. They were at four point eight yards uh, per rush on the ground that factoring in Drew Aller's runs, which were key and case Allen, of course. And so, Daniel, I think this offensive line also found a bit of something it needed and it's going to face a huge challenge a gut check and really in many ways a defining moment for itself against Michigan and in, in the way we're going to view that unit here in 2023 but it needed to deliver against Maryland and you wanted to see forward momentum and and you probably got more forward strides than you even anticipated coming out of this matchup for that group certainly I, I thought the offensive line looked really really good and I think one of the reasons, one of those takeaways when you're you're thinking back to a game and you're unpacking it is that there were no moments where it was like, what's happening? Or re- where you really noticed someone, especially in pass protection. I think that the only time that the offensive line really kind of came across was there was a penalty on Caden Wallace that, that proved to be a little costly. But it was just a really solid game up front. I thought that Drew Aller had a lot of time. He looked comfortable that allowed him to make good decisions with that time that he had. It was just very, very solid. I think that that group is really going to be tested. That interior, there were still one or two lapses, I think, over the course of this game. That's really going to be something to watch uh, against Michigan next week. But I think that you feel really good about what you have on the edge. Caden Wallace was back. We saw him leave last week. Wasn't listed on the pregame status report and held down that right tackle job. I don't think I don't think we saw Drew Shelton on the field until really you know, pretty late in the game. Um, so that's good to see from Caden Wallace. And then on the left side, I mean, Olu Fashionu is just himself pretty much at, at this point of the year. You know what you're going to get. He delivers. Uh, you can kind of set it and forget it with him. So I, I thought the line played great. The real test, though, is, is it's going to be next week. It's it's, gonna, it's a really, really big week for that unit. We, we've talked about it so much these past yep. two years. It's been prove it, prove it, prove it from James Franklin. I think we saw them start to do that last year, but this is really where the rubber is going to meet the road. Yeah, they were absolutely obliterated up front uh, in Ann Arbor last year. Two years ago, in a, in a narrow loss to Michigan, they gave up seven sacks. Caden Wallace had a bit of a rough afternoon, if I can all recall correctly. Olu Fashionu was not yet an ascending, uh, transcendent tackle figure. Uh, now he is, and, and we'll find out what they bring to the table. But in this one, I checked off a, a lot down that box, a, a lot of boxes off that list of what you're looking for from the offensive line unit against the uh, Maryland defense that came into the matchup ranked second among all Big Ten defenses in sacks per game. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. It took a long time. Uh, look, when, when the offense has a bit of a breakout moment here in early November, we got to give it its due. But let's get to the defense because this was a really impressive. I mean, there was some penalties and, and some lapses there that led to some drives. They had a hot quarterback on their hands for much of the matchup, and it's not the first time we've seen this guy get hot against Penn State. Three of the four times he started against them, 
He's been the best player on the field, I think you could say, for the Maryland Terrapins. Unfortunately for him, uh, he transferred out of Alabama and, and and to College Park, and he didn't have the same supporting cast throughout his career, including his matchups against Penn State. Eventually, the wheels come off as you think they might, and the turnovers come. And at the foundation of all this is Maryland just has no hope and really didn't seem like that much desire to establish the run. It was absolutely painful, I'd imagine, for any pair, for any Terps fan hoping to see their offense established some kind of balance they finished collectively with negative 49 rushing yards even when you take away the sacks and, and adjust things there they're still under zero they're in negative yards negative two on the day for rushing i mean this was an historically dominant performance for penn state you're stacking up against some some really decades old performances against opponents you couldn't believe in penn state history in terms of less uh, rushing yards all time Daniel, what did you make of a bounce back performance from a defense that was kind of, you know, looked like they were on ice skates a little bit last week? And that wasn't something that was uh, we were accustomed to seeing from Manny Diaz's unit going back for about a year span. I think that you look at what you were worried about off of last week was the lapses, the things that gave up the big plays. I think that early on, uh, Talia Tungavailoa did a nice job of taking advantage of the free plays. I thought that that was something that we hadn't really seen too much this year, mostly because the Penn State defense has been pretty disciplined, but that's kind of goes into what we've been talking about, how there were guys on this offense that, that could make you pay. Caden Prather had a couple nice catches. Ty Felton had a really nice catch and run um, at one point in the game. But I think that Maryland was just so one-dimensional that it kind of handcuffed them a little bit. Even though Talia Tungavailoa is completing all those passes, I thought Penn State was doing a nice job of keeping it kind of station to station. Uh, they were pretty – he was averaging just around 10, 10 yards per completion through there. Um, they weren't really breaking off big plays, and Penn State was using that pressure to get them off the field when they needed to. And you look at Maryland's running back group, and it, it's not the worst group of, of running backs. I mean, Roman Hemby – had a really nice redshirt freshman year last year. Antoine Littleton is a, is a load. I think he's like 232 pounds. He can get in there. And then Colby McDonald is someone who's done some nice things. But I, I think you just point to the mismatch in the trenches where that Penn State front is so physical, so aggressive. They bring a lot of different pressures. <laughs> we saw a couple different looks in the Prowler package today that, that we hadn't seen before. And I think that Maryland just kind of knew that if it was going to win this game, it was going to have to be on the arm of Talia Tunga-Vailoa. And I think Penn State kind of knew that too. I mean, two years ago here in College Park, uh, Tunga-Vailoa threw it 57 times. And it looked like he was going to get close to that uh, today with, with how much he was throwing in the first half. But I think he finished with 39 completions. So I thought that the Penn State defense, especially that front, had a really nice game. And most importantly, Penn State just avoided – uh, those complete breakdowns. I mean, there's still penalty issues. I mean, you you take a, you take away penalties, this might be another shutout. But I thought that the Penn State defense rebounded really nicely. Uh, I we kind of knew that the level that they were playing at it's just so hard to sustain. Last week against Indiana happened to be that step back, but they're right back to where they were pre-Indiana right now. And you look at at. at- uh, Tagovailoa was 10 of 10 for the first three possessions, and yet they had no points. And that's when you kind of thought, okay, Maryland's in trouble. They've got a hot quarterback right now, but they're not getting anything out of it. 
They had a turnover on downs that they tried to play it aggressive. It didn't work out. Penn State's defense snuffed it out. Uh, then they had the 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 fumble uh, off the after the completion, and then they had a punt. And and you know before you know it, all of a sudden Penn State putting up points. He ends up going 17 of 17 to start the game. I, I think it extended beyond that, but his 17th completion was a touchdown pass. And you're just wondering, okay, is Penn State going to come up with an answer here? The rest of the way, he's he's you know relatively pedestrian. 12 of 22. Ends up having the the costly interception, um, you know. So you kind of tip your cap to this guy. He, he's going to end up with holding a lot of Maryland records, but he's not going to have a lot of meaningful wins unless they. I, I think he has all the records already. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, he's just going to bury everybody else who wants to chase them, I guess. And then, yeah. you know, and and he's going to really stack that, and and we'll see if they're able to get back to a bowl game and he gets a chance to get a third bowl win. But we've seen him here. You know, we saw him come up to Beaver Stadium his first year as starting quarterback and, and do some pretty special things here against a, a beleaguered Nittany Lions squad. And we've checked in on him every step of the way. But unless he does beat Michigan here in November when, when they take on the Wolverines in a couple of weeks, um, you know, as we heard from Jeff Ehrman, it's it's hard to find a signature victory and when you're talking legacy with this guy. So just to turn the page from him, because when you see a guy play against it four different times, I feel like a lot of opponents probably felt the same way. Maybe other beat reporters covering Sean Clifford last year. Just <laughs> want to take a moment, reflect on the journey, um, and 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 we'll and we'll and we'll move on from there. But I, I think when you look at some individual guys who are popping up here, Adiza Isaac. I mean, he's up to six and a half sacks. I think that count is. He, his career high was four sacks coming into the season. He did that last year, and I believe much of that work last year was done in November and in the Rose Bowl. And I'm just thinking about maybe the last 12, 13 game sample size for Adiza Isaac and how that may measure up against some of his other Big Ten contemporaries. And you start to forget about the Achilles injury because it's a while back and you forget about his recovery back. You just figure out what you have in front of you here. Adiza Isaac is at playing at a tremendously high level in a moment where you are without one of the best defensive edge rushers in college football. And man, he's showing up in a big way. Definitely. I think when you lose Chop Robinson, you need guys to step up. And Adisa Isaac was one of them today. He had a really big sack that I think snuffed out a drive. And he was just, it kind of made his presence felt a lot. He's such a, a, like when you talk about Chop Robinson, I mean, Chop is a super athletic guy, just is so fast off the ball, is, is so quick around tackles. But Isaac is is so long and tall and that he's able to really affect the game in, in a couple different ways when he's coming around the edge. And I, I think that he's someone that when you talk about leaders on the team, guys who have been around for a while who really want to play determined, I think that he might be at the top of the list on that defense. So I, he I really, really, he really showed up against Ohio state. I mean, you want to talk about guys yeah. who really brought it to Columbus. He was ready for that stage. He was ready to deliver on that stage. And I think it'll be the same way next Saturday. Certainly. And, I think that he's kind of a tone setter for that room, uh, for that line as a whole. And when, when he's starting to get back there, I think it just makes everything everything else easier. And don't overlook it. I mean, he's definitely making himself from prof- some professional money uh, these past couple of weeks, too. So uh, I think that he's someone that uh, when you think about the injury and, and just kind of his backstory, it, it's really cool to see him having this type of success. And it, it's really huge for Penn State. You know, these edge rushers can can win you a game uh, here and there. So, and they might need to next week against JJ McCarthy. So, uh, I I really like what we've seen from Adisa Isaac. 
Yeah, I think of the last five years, Penn State fans who pay attention closely to the team, they, they, they've seen Adiz Isaac go from a guy they view as a top 100 prospect that they were excited to get back on campus for the talent, and now they appreciate the value that he has brought to the locker room, uh, what he has meant to his family, those who have followed along closely. So it's good to see him fulfilling individual goals, but it's, you know they're reaping the rewards uh, collectively here. And when we heard from him out in Pasadena and Los Angeles last year in, in early January and why he was coming back and this is exactly the kind of the dream scenario playing out for him thus far. Um, and, and when we look at that defense, uh, we want to talk about guys who are disruptors. And the one name that I brought up on, on our pregame podcast, and I said, are we going to get the November 2022 version of him here in November 2023? Because we haven't exactly seen the entire 2022 version replicated and built upon Abdul Carter. He took a step forward today, uh, Daniel, and, 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 and he was a tone setter in the kind of way that we just – I don't think he has established himself as through the first two months of this season. He came up with a sack uh, to, to, to end uh, uh, to end the quarter. I think it was the, the first quarter of this game. Uh, again, tone-setting kind of play. Uh, and I just thought he was very active on the day. I thought the linebacker unit, and we'll get to some others, had a tremendous day. It was an LBU kind of performance against Maryland. But it's going to start with this guy when we're talking about the linebacker room. And if we're going to talk about this defense going from – as good as it's been through the first couple months to taking another step forward and really trying to throw a, a, a haymaker here and, and land in the college football playoff conversation, he's got to be one of the catalysts. It, it felt like Abdul Carter had been playing kind of passive through these the first eight games of the season where you would see him around the ball a lot but wasn't necessarily making plays. But I felt like today we saw a renewed aggression uh, an, a level of violence that we haven't really seen from him yet this year. I don't know what, what the catalyst for that was, but I think it's something that Penn State will definitely take. He had a couple of rushes out of the Prowler package where he just got off the ball so quick and I think helped some other guys get some sacks, altered some plays, helped you know, just make life pretty tough back there for Talia Tungavailoa. So uh, I think that seeing Abdul Carter kind of click right now I think that that's really, really good for this defense because I think through this, through these first eight games, you're kind of looking for that that extra element, that kind of nastiness, that that mean streak, and it just hadn't quite come. I mean, I think that we've seen these defensive linemen show up. Uh, you know, Zane Durant has big hits. Adisa Isaac's getting to the quarterback. Deny Dennis Sutton is making game-changing plays, but I think it, it's something a little bit different when it happens in space or guys with real full heads of steam and are altering plays. And I think that we saw that from Abdul Carter today. And he almost had a pick six on a play where he he jumped the route, came downhill. I felt like that's something we haven't really seen from him. Um, so this is a very, very, I think, promising performance for this Penn State defense because if he can play in that kind of uh, November 2022 level, that's huge for the Nittany Lions. So many encouraging things here. I mean, you're just wondering how much of, of, of 60 minutes in College Park can you bottle up and, and apply to the next three matchups here, especially the next one in, in, uh, in Beaver Stadium here next Saturday. But whether it's Abdul Carter's performance or another receiver stepping up or Drew Aller playing as he did, the offensive line playing as stable as they did. I mean, there's just so many things you can point to that were huge. And last week against Indiana, not only was it some of the lapses on the plays, it just wasn't an explosive-looking defense. Only four tackles behind the line of scrimmage against the Indiana Hoosiers last uh, last week. 
That was a season low. Today, 12 tackles behind the line of scrimmage, six sacks on the day. Uh, the wealth was spread in that regard. And, and I want to get to a young dynamic freshman. We haven't seen many freshmen involved. Jameel Lyons was the fifth to burn his red shirt uh, from that class. So they've all been on defense. It's Jameel Lyons at defensive end, King Mack at safety. You've got Elliot Washington and Zion Tracy at cornerback. And then Tony Rojas. Hello, Mr. Rojas today. Uh, look, he was the talk of the town for much of spring camp, but he plays at a position. And by the way, that buzz didn't really stop in preseason camp. We just didn't really, you know, we just got used to hearing it, I guess. And, 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 and you know, put it on 30 pounds flying around the field without hesitancy and yet he's in the linebacker room that played pretty darn good for the most part and they have some really impressive uh, established guys he got some run today and late in this game it was his first chance to play in a couple weeks actually on defense and and rojas not only comes away with a strip sack but he comes up with an interception that, that sets up another penn state touchdown these are i think they lead to 10 total points for penn state on the turnovers that's half of the half of the forced turnovers for this defense and Rojas just gives you a glimpse that we may not get to see much of it along the way here in November. I think he was under 80 total snaps, under 90 total snaps in the season at this point. But, man, he is coming. He is coming in that linebacker room. Definitely. You look at what he was able to do in such a short amount of time, strip sack, interception. He's from Northern Virginia, went to Fairfax High School, which isn't too far from College Park, depending on the traffic on the Beltway. Uh, so you, you knew that this was something that was pretty cool for him. I think Maryland was one of the first schools to offer him um, you know, and was involved early in his recruitment. Um, so you talk a lot about the Maryland guys coming home, but for Northern Virginia, I mean, it, it, it's the DMV. So just a, a cool thing for him. And I think we got to see those splash plays. We got to see him you know, coming around the edge, getting after a quarterback, getting the ball in his hands, you know, do things that we'd only seen and do it against a big 10 team. And, things that we'd only really seen against Delaware and UMass. Um, and then to, to see that today against Maryland and not just on kickoffs. Uh, I think I thought that was really cool. And uh, the more, more reps like that you can bank, the better. Again, really good day for the linebacker unit. I think they were key. I mean, the, the defensive backs tackled well. The big thing about, about Tiger Bailoa, he was completing all these passes, Daniel, but to James Franklin references in the, in the postgame, there weren't a lot of explosive plays out of it. And that's because they were wrapping up. They got a little sloppy last week. James Franklin had some pointed criticism about you know, where they were coming in in terms of center of gravity against the ball carrier and trying to wrap up high last week. They got a lot of that remedy. Whatever message they were trying to get across in Sunday's film session and through the week of practice, I think that got across on defense. Don DeLuca, who James Franklin called the man a couple times in postgame, had an interception. He seems to splash every game. So does Daquan Hardy. So does Johnny Dixon. They just have a bunch of defenders who seem to show up every week. So good to see this response. Let's finish at defensive end. We're talking about the, 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 uh, the defensive unit here. Chop Robinson, Amin Vanover. Where do we stand with these guys coming out of the matchup? And because it was so personal for Chop and because you could see some of that emotion on his face pregame, unable to play out there for pregame warmups, can you talk us through that side? Because James Franklin said they were motivated not just to play well for themselves, but to play well for Chop Robinson. And for him to say that publicly, that's that's a pretty serious statement. Yeah, I think just to start with Amin Vanover, questionable, went through warmups. We saw him do a little bit more in warmups this week than we did last week. Ultimately didn't play. So you saw a lot of Zariah Fisher rotating in there uh, and Jameel Lyons officially burning that red shirt. Uh, Chop Robinson was, was interesting. Uh, Mark Brennan was at team arrival on Friday uh, in Bethesda, saw Chop Robinson there. We didn't see him Wednesday at practice. 
uh, and then that status report comes out and he's listed as out. Um, now he was dressed and did go through early warmups, um, James, and then came out in street clothes um, when the game actually started. James Franklin said that that was that they traveled him so he could do some rehab type stuff um, and, and continue on on his rehab trajectory and you know, get a workout in, get some work in on the field uh, in in a controlled environment. And we've seen Penn State do that uh, through these first couple through the first three quarters of or two thirds of the year with this new kind of um, unknown <laughs> thing with the Big Ten status report, uh, where they've had players who've been listed as out going through warmups and then you know being in street clothes or, or, or not playing. And I think it makes sense in terms of getting these guys work, keeping them on rehab schedules um, and and things like that. In the past, it might have been a little bit of subterfuge, but uh, the Big Ten kind of eliminates that for us. But you know, we talked to players after the game on both sides of the ball, and they knew how much it meant for Chop Robinson to come back here. Uh, play against the school where he be, where he started his career in his home state. Quince Orchard isn't that far from here. Um, and, and so I think it was big. We saw after a sack, uh, I believe it was Adisa Isaac, I forget who exactly, flashed up fours uh, in terms of 44 uh, after making a big play. Um, you know, we Chop Robinson said you know, the offensive player said that he was inspiring them. It was just a very, I think, overall and just kind of a, a cool thing to see. Um, from Penn State, how, and I think it speaks to the personality that Chop Robinson has and kind of the, the magnetic type of person that he is in that locker room. Five tackles for loss, three sacks, and, and a guy that a lot of the NFL draft industry experts will tell you fits that first round kind of profile. Uh, but they haven't, we haven't seen him on the field since early on. Uh, October 21st against Ohio State. So if he is trending towards getting back on the field against Michigan, um, and I think it's a positive sign that he was out in the field today, just generally after we didn't see him at all in Beaver Stadium last Saturday, uh, what a boost that would be for a defensive line that's already boasting a bunch of depth. And the same goes for Amin Vanover, who has been on the precipice, it appears, of playing for a couple of weeks and, and more so this week because of the work we saw him uh, put in on the practice field. But uh, you know, some more weapons that, that were not able to be a go today, but still 12 tackles for loss and six sacks. So it uh, worked out pretty well. Before we get to Bo Prabula and, and what that may do for, for the Michigan matchup, Special teams, um, you know, Stacey Collins and, and that entire unit was an area that I think you, myself, Mark Brennan, anyone who really covers the team was putting like the top three concerns, you know, back in August. We all probably had that in our top three concerns at midseason even. But week by week by week, as, as we get into prove it territory for every position and every coach and every player on this roster, um, special teams answering a lot of those questions. We've seen big returns in the punt unit from Daquan Hardy, back-to-back uh, -back games with big returns from Nick Singleton, uh, setting up a, an offensive touchdown today, did Singleton. And, and meanwhile, Riley Thompson, you know, not scaring you as a punter right now, two, two for uh, two today at 44 and a half average, uh, you know, not making mistakes in key moments. But Alex Falcons has been the story here. You know, we talked about Dante Cephas and what he has meant in this game. But on the season, this has been your most impactful transfer pickup. 13 of 16 now on the season, Daniel. He played a lot of football at Columbia. He's that program's all-time leader uh, in career points there at the Ivy League level. But he never converted 70-plus percent of field goals there. Uh, and then you kind of thought, well, what does that look like when you throw him in front of 100,000 people in Beaver Stadium or send him on the road in, in a Big Ten matchup? And there's a lot at stake. And you're talking about college football playoff and conference titles and stuff like that. 
Alex Falcons has been phased. He is now 13 of 16. He made three kicks today. They were not challenging kicks, but they would be challenging for a lot of kickers, and we thought they might be challenging for this Penn State kicking unit. Instead, he has not missed from inside 40 all season long. He was three for three from that distance today, Daniel, but 13 of 16 on the season. He had one kick blocked earlier on the road this year, and he has two misses, that one from beyond 40 and one from beyond 50 yards. I mean, this guy is getting it done, and it's time for everyone, I think, to focus on it. You didn't need it today. It wasn't one of those down-to-the-wire, win-by-two-or-three-point situations, but next week very well may be, and Alex Falcons gives you some confidence there. I think at this point you can say that it's more than stability, that, that he's become a weapon. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that that's what you wanted to see after Sanders to Haydak missed those two from inside 40 against West Virginia. You were kind of like, all right, let's get stability. And now you're starting to see him as, as a weapon where when he runs out there, you're not really worried about it. I mean, 30, 35, 39 were his makes today. Not world-beating stuff, but you can't afford to leave those points on the field when you're going for, you know, you're trying to compete in the Big Ten. You're going for a college football playoff spot. You're trying to beat Michigan. Um, so I, I thought that that's, you know, he's done his job. Uh, and I think that's been big for Penn State. Last subject to finish here, teased it earlier, but Bo Prabula, we finally saw it. Mark Brennan called it with his bold prediction. He said, this is going to be the game. And his logic made plenty of sense. James Franklin's been teasing this since spring ball. The fact that you could get Bo Prabula involved, not just in garbage time uh, and mop up duty, but in a situation in the flow of the game to kind of change the way the defense is approaching you. I think a lot of people came out of the Ohio State game, wondered why wasn't that the right time to do it. This was a time to do it because now you're setting the stage for a week of prep against Michigan. And I'd imagine their game prep has become a bit harder in recent days and recent weeks. So now you throw another wrinkle at the Wolverine staff. What do you make of Bo Prabula's uh, uh, usage in this game? I think James Franklin acknowledged himself it wasn't wildly productive. Prabula did score a rushing touchdown late in the game as the backup quarterback. That wasn't a special package role. It was just, you know, late mop-up duty. Again, he's got four rushing touchdowns now. But what did you think of seeing him on the field with Drew Aller and then seeing him take over for Drew Aller in a couple different snaps? I thought that Penn State deployed the package really well. They got down near the goal line, and you see Bo Prabula come on. Drew Aller goes off. So you're kind of like, oh, okay, we're finally seeing Prabula. Uh, in the feet, like in the game, in meaningful action. I think those are his first meaningful snaps of the year. But then after the one play, then Drew Aller comes back on. So you kind of ease into it, give one look that's new, then another look that's new. And while the play kind of got broken, <laughs> I think you could call that a, a broken play. Drew Aller made the most of it and found Theo Johnson for that little flip. And I think that's something that played into Aller talking about playing loose, playing free being able to just kind of make plays and not worry too much. Um, but he had he had Prabula open on the backside too. So I, I thought that it was really good by Penn State to put that on film now and to do it in kind of a, a unique way. Um, I, I thought that that was just deployed very, very well. A nice job by James Franklin and Mike Yersich to, to kind of show two different things in two plays um, to give Michigan something to think about. So we'll, we'll see what that actually looks like next week. I, I love that they 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 chose not to unveil this next Saturday because they yeah. did that. And I've mentioned it a few times 
back in 2018 in that game where Trace McSorley set a Penn State record for most individual yards in, in a game against Ohio State, and then you lose at the end with the ball out of McSorley's hand. They took the ball out of McSorley's hand a couple times along the course of that game to get Tommy Stevens involved, I believe. And Stevens had missed a few games. He was injured in early September. We expected to see him implemented in that Lion package. And then it felt very forced. And it felt like it was forced on the on the big stage, the biggest stage of the season. Here, you know, there were some moments where Perbula would like to have it back. I think he, he tripped over the cleat of Olu Fashionu trying to get to the outside on one of those runs. Um, and, and, and there was a little bit of a scramble there on the play that led to the touchdown, although it led to six points. But you got through those. Now you get to, to, to have a conversation about everything as a staff, as, as, as a group of players. Is this working? Is this worth working? Uh, putting investment into? Um, are we going to double down on this? Are we going to eliminate some of the wrinkles that we thought might work? There Was there some things that we were surprised that worked a little bit better that we should expand upon here before Michigan comes to town? And now that gives you some options. And now Bo Perbula is a little more comfort. You've done it before. You've, you've had these guys staying on the field against an 11-man live defense that wants to attack you. And you've looked at each other and said, okay, this is kind of weird, but let, let's, let's roll. You've done that now. And so you've done it in College Park where you had you know a nice contingent of Penn State fans. By that point, and we're already seeing Penn State gain momentum. Rather than having to do it you know, on your second possession when it feels like every snap is so valuable against Michigan, and and I think that's a really smart design by, by Penn State. Now, when do we see it pop up, and how much do we see it pop up against Michigan I think is a valuable question. And if it doesn't work immediately against Michigan, say they get one play, two plays, and it doesn't produce, they say, okay, that, that's it. We can't, we, we can't play with snaps like this. Or is it something that we see them give a shot gradually at different points of the game? Just some things to kind of chew over there. Daniel, we'll do the chewing here on the podcast and over at Lions247.com. Anything else while you're checking in from College Park before you hit the road tomorrow? We'll get you back on Monday uh, with Mark Brennan to, to break down things in a lot more detail. We're actually going to start for the first time in James Franklin's tenure uh, Monday press conferences. So we're going to shift things up a little bit. We'll hear from the head man earlier. But, Daniel, before we say goodnight to the folks out there, or good morning to folks listening on Sunday. Uh, what Any kind of final thoughts here, final takeaways from watching Penn State? Uh, put it on Maryland 51-15. Penn State did what it does when it comes to College Park, and I, I think that that's what they needed to do, and it sets them up nicely for next week. It's a nice day for football, beautiful day, got a little overcast, but fun to be back at the alma mater and uh, Penn State, and it was a result that I think a lot of, uh, of my fellow alumni are, are very familiar with. Yeah, we're, we're still in the setting for one more year in college football where – a second loss dashes a lot of hopes, you know, uh, pees in the pool, spoils the party. Even if you get to the Rose Bowl at the end of the year, it's still not quite fulfilling enough. So as long as you can delay that second loss, and I think a lot of people, even if you saw the delayed second loss today, but it was really hard to get there and it was clunky and it required late drama, wouldn't be that excited going into Michigan week. People would feel like Penn State was starting to line up to take its lumps next week. Instead, I think there's some renewed vigor among the fan base. I'd imagine that probably resonates inside this Penn State football program as well as they make their way back to Happy Valley, get settled in, get back into team facilities on Sunday. And not a lot of programs out there left, Daniel Gallen, have a sense that they can still be part of that conversation here as we get deeper in November. Penn State buys themselves another week, and they can buy themselves a lot more with the win next Saturday. But 51-15, to uh, Nittany Lions fans out there, a little bit of a cloud was lifted, I think, here on a Saturday. Maybe a big exhale coming out of this matchup. And now you buckle up and see what this team's made of once again.
come Beaver Stadium next Saturday, noon kickoff. We'll be back with another podcast on Monday. Between now and then, a lot of coverage coming your way at lines247.com. On behalf of Daniel Gallen, on behalf of Mark Brennan and Grace Brennan doing the work on video and photography uh, throughout this week down in College Park, uh, we are lines247.com. This is the Lines 24-7 podcast, and we'll talk to you real soon.